Hello and welcome back to our podcast where we ask Pastor Jeremy anything. I'm your host Natalia and we're in conversation with Pastor Jeremy and today we are answering questions from our listeners. So let's go. What should I do when the consequences of my sin get so bad to deal with and can I faithfully pray to God to take them away? Hi everyone. This is Pastor Jeremy and good to be here again with you and I love questions because questions always get us to a deeper place in our faith. Thank you so much for those who wrote in their questions today. This is a great question and we all struggle with it. There is not a single believer, baptized, born again believer who does not sin on a daily basis. We live with two realities. We live with the fact that we have been made saints by the position we have in Christ. and we are sinners by practice because we still in the flesh and the flesh has a sinful principle working within it as paul talks about in romans chapter 7 so we are constantly plagued with the weakness of our body and we are blessed with the strength and character of the lord jesus gifted to us in his presence in our lives the holy spirit given to us but as born again christians who still sin who still feel the consequences of our sin The question is what should I do when the consequences of my sin get so bad to deal with or can I ask God to take it away Now in any given situation let me take it two ways Firstly when we sin we feel guilt If you're talking about the consequences being guilt if you're talking about consequences being you know how you feel and what that leads to and how it destroys faith or or, or fellowship with God how it destroys relationships then god is able to forgive god is able to reassure and god is wants you to live in the light so that with confession you are able to eradicate that sense of guilt that feeling of guilt god does give guilt and you should never stop feeling guilty because guilt is a sign it's an indicator that something is wrong it's a good thing it's like pain when there's pain you know that something is wrong so you give attention to it guilt is good just getting rid of guilt that is taking a pain reliever is not good in the long run it may be good for a while but it's not good in the long run so guilt if that's the approach that's the consequences you're talking about then god has a wonderful way of drawing you in embracing you reminding you of his forgiveness reminding you of his reassured love so that you do not have to live in guilt anymore so we can live in our position in christ even though in our performance we are constantly failing however if by consequences we mean the results and the outcomes of our poor choices then the sad reality is that god is not going to remove those he's going to work around it he's going to work with you he's not going to take away the consequences but he's going to help you through it he's going to walk you through it he too in living his life through you is having to deal with the consequences of your present sin he too is dealing with your sinfulness as he's trying to live the life of christ through you you get what i'm saying so you are struggling with it he is struggling with it and he gives the strength on a daily basis and in fact that is one of the meanings of the word grace it's called grace enabling god gives us grace to deal with the issues in our life gives us grace to deal with the brokenness in our life so first i said if we're approaching it from the point of guilt then god assures us god reminds us of his forgiveness and he gives us peace he reminds us that we are his and he embraces us daily so that we may know him and not be far from him but if we are talking about the results and outcomes of choices like for instance if you decided to cut your hand off in some sinful action 
that hand will forever be cut off. Okay, you get what I'm saying? You can't deal with it. You can't undo certain actions. If you decided to get rid of something or you decided and think of a sin that has long term consequences. You should have thought of that before you went into it. This is in the area of lifestyle choices, relationships, partnerships. When you sign a covenant, when you get into long term agreements, anything like that, that has long term consequences. Now you had to live with it. But that brings us to the other aspect of this question. Can I pray and ask God to remove those consequences? Well, you could pray and God will give you grace. God will give you the ability to live with those consequences. In fact, you know what? God can turn that reality, that in-your-face reminder every day as you live with the consequences, the outcomes, God will turn that into a ministry. God will use that out of your brokenness to bring something amazing out of your life. So really, I think this question is about feelings. How do you feel about the outcomes of your sin? How do you feel? If it's guilt, God has assurances and lots of love to pour out on you so that you don't have to live in that. But if it is hard realities, choices you've made, then God gives you the grace to live with it. You've got to go to God and ask for one of the two. Lord, either take this away, which he may or may not do, or God give me the grace to live with it. What else do you have as a question when you think about the consequences? How do you suggest people think before making such big choices? because you're going to have to live with the consequences. Personal word of advice, when you go through life, you need to think hard before you make decisions. Decisions could be moral, amoral, or immoral. But all decisions need to be thought through because there are many decisions that are irreversible. You cannot undo a decision once made. And once you take that step, so people who take the step out of impulse people who take that step suddenly often find themselves regretting and living with long-term regrets about that. Secondly, whenever there is a need in your life where God has promised to provide and you go ahead and you make your own way, you decide how you're going to solve that problem because you can't wait for God to bring it in, you rob yourself of God's long-term, beautiful, well-thought-through provisions for your life. So now you've robbed yourself of two things. Now you're stuck with the consequences of a poor decision and you are trying to imagine what God's answer would have been in the long term. That's unnecessary. You are setting yourself up for unnecessary strife in life when you don't give yourself enough time to think through decisions, think before you jump. Another big area of thinking or contemplation or pondering before a major decision, before a commitment is Will I want this five years from today, 10 years from today, 20 years from today? Some people have very strong opinions, but they didn't have that strong opinion five years ago, and they probably won't have it five years from today. So are you who you are today, or are you who you are over a lifetime? Wise people think about what's good for the long run, what's good for all time. When God made decisions, he made decisions for himself, for you, for people for what is good in the long run. And that's sometimes why we don't like God's decisions, because we want what's good for us now, regardless of the consequences later. And that's what leads us to sinful decisions. We take a decision now out of pleasure, out of urgency, out of impulse. We take a decision now because that's what we want now. But we don't even stop to ask, will I, leave alone God, leave alone anybody else, will even I want this 
five years from today, 10 years from today, if I have changed radically in the last one decade, two decades, three decades, will I not change in the next one decade, two decades, three decades? And am I going to live with the consequences of my own foolishness, wrongdoing, or poor decisions? And that's where you stop, you ask other people, and you take counsel and you make decisions. You could blame people through life for what they did to you. But who do you blame when you did it? And that's probably the hardest thing to do. I told you that that is just a freebie. That's a side topic to decision making. But to answer this question, it's very, very important to think and to understand that God has forgiven all sin. So don't feel guilty about it. Walk humbly and ask God for strength to overcome that. Another question that has come in, would you read that to us? I have two more questions from another source. Which of the baptism takes place first, the Holy Spirit or the water, and why is it so? What is the importance in the Bible of closing eyes while praying to God, or why is it important to close your eyes while we pray? Great questions. I love the way you're thinking. Here's a deeply theological question. Baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of water. These are two different baptisms, and a baptism basically means to die, D-Y-E. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to die. Now, when you die, D-Y-E, something, that is immersed in the water, and the water has a coloring agent, and the item takes on the color, takes on the character of what it is immersed in. So you are baptized into something. Not that you receive something. You are received by something or someone. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where the Holy Spirit receives you and swallows you, absorbs you, so that you're swimming in Him. And He does this for all believers, for all believers. As 1 Corinthians talks about, we have all been baptized into one Spirit. We have all been baptized into one Spirit. But oftentimes when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we talk about the receiving of the Holy Spirit at the point where you become saved. What we understand and believe the scriptures to explain is this, that the Holy Spirit is given to you or you are baptized in the Spirit of God when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. In that moment, you are saved. What does that mean? Number one, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Number two, you are brought into the body of Christ. You are brought in and you are baptized into God's family, God's person by His Spirit. So the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, the Spirit brings you into Christ, and Christ brings you back to the Father. You see the process here? So it's not about you at all. It's all about God the Father, it's all about God the Son. And as He baptizes you in the moment of your belief, at the moment of your conviction, at the moment of your faith in Christ, as you cry out to God for forgiveness, and to accept Christ as your Lord, in that moment, you are given the Holy Spirit. Now, we use the term given the Holy Spirit because the Spirit comes to dwell in us. And the Bible teaches that it is given to us as a guarantee. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the fact that you have been given to Him and He has all of you. So you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has you. You don't have more and more of the Holy Spirit as you go on in your life. The Holy Spirit has more and more of you he is not compartmentalized. You are. You are the one that's broken down and you're the one in bits. So you are the one who receives him. When does this happen? It happens at the point of faith. Another question that is quite intriguing here is, 
the significance in the Bible about closing eyes. Well, the Bible doesn't tell you to close your eyes. Nowhere in the Bible does it say close your eyes. The Bible talks about posture. Scriptures talk about posture. In the Old Testament, the New Testament talks about posture during prayer. And is there a rule to this? No, there is no rule to this. Because if the Holy Spirit is within you and you're speaking to the Spirit of God, you're speaking to God who lives in you, then there is no posture. You could be upside down and you could be praying and God will still commune with you because your communion is now inside the temple, which is your body. It's you communing with the Holy Spirit. So you could be in any given position and your prayer is being heard. But physically, physically, is there a posture? Is there a, is there a sense of reverence? Is there something, is there a position that reflects reverence, reflects the fact that you are praying? That the Bible does suggest. The Bible suggests laying flat on the floor, face down. How about that? Prostrate. That is the position for prayer. The Bible talks about kneeling in the book of Daniel. It talks about others kneeling before kings, kneeling before authorities, kneeling before God. But the posture for prayer is actually flat, face down. And uh, nobody does that nowadays. And if you're going to talk about postures, there's the prostrate, there's the kneeling, there's the bowing of the head, there's the bowing of the upper body. There are all these different postures that would tell you that I'm in prayer or that I am in a reverent atmosphere. And that's, just, that's great, you know, it's just, it's just respect. It's honor and people would know that you're praying at least. But as for eyes, intriguingly, Jesus looked up to heaven and prayed. So his eyes were not closed. The man who was praying, the Pharisee was praying in the temple, looked up to heaven and he was praying. And he was pointing to the other guy back there and saying, thank God I'm not like him. You remember that story? Then there's the sinner who was praying to God. He could not even look up. He was beating his chest. We talk about closing eyes. And let me finally answer the question. We talk about closing eyes just so that we're not distracted. Because the eyes are picking up everything that's going on around us. When we close our eyes and we're listening, we're focused on what is inside us. And we just show that much more respect to be able to focus. So when I'm listening to you, talking to you, you're like, look at me, look at me. Why do you ask me to look at you? Because you want me to focus on you so that I hear what you're saying. But I listen with my ears. Why do I need to look at you? In the same respect, close your eyes. Because when you close your eyes, your prayer is actually directed at spiritual part of your being. You're not focused on sensory surroundings. You're not focused on your senses. You get what I'm saying? You're trying to disconnect from the physical and you're trying to move into the spiritual. And it's a journey, my goodness. I've been walking with the Lord for many, many years now. And to be able to disconnect from the body and feel just spiritual, get into the spirit. And this is highly confused between spiritual and mental as well. But for any of those things, when you want to meditate, when you want, you want to close your eyes. And I think that's a sign of respect. I think it's, a, it's an act of focus. And it's, it's wonderful to do that. But nowhere in the Bible does it actually tell you to do that. So there's a fun part of this. It's cute. Should you open your eyes? Should you close your eyes? Children always ask, okay, everybody close your eyes, fold your hands. Let's pray. What are we being taught really? We're being taught posture. We're being taught reverence. We've been taught focus. And um, when you talk about meditation, we say close your eyes because you're trying to focus your thoughts. The body can be very distracting. And that I think is why we need to close our eyes. But it's not a rule. Thank you so much for answering those. And we love taking questions and responding to that. So if you have a question, please write to us at bstjeremy at gmail.com and we'll see you in the next podcast.